0: This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC Cincinnati This is the Nation Station. I'll never
1: forget the Hi again everyone and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 167. Today on our show, Michael George from Cincinnati Parks.
0: You know, that's a really interesting story. Um, So very early on, there was a need to produce plant material for our park system. And with the park system, we did that ourselves. We grew out the annuals and the perennials that would be planted in the flower beds at the various parks. So we needed a greenhouse structure to do it. And the very first greenhouse uh, was located in Eden Park.
1: Well, the first thing I learned with Cincinnati Parks is different from great parks of Hamilton County, as we're gonna hear. Uh, Michael talked to us about the history of the city parks, how some of them were required, as well as the neat stuff you can do in all of the parks. And uh, we found a little secret about Mirror Lake in Eden Park. At least I think it's a secret. I didn't know this before. Uh, So stay tuned for that. Now, if you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it by PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com. Chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for the special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Now, let's talk to Michael George from Cincinnati Parks. C-I-N-C-I-N-N-E-T-I Cincinnati
0: She came down from Cincinnati Just maybe think of me once in a while I'm at cinci in Cincinnati
1: Usually where we start is we ask if you're from Cincinnati.
0: Uh, yeah, not not exactly. Uh, we moved here in the 1970s, so um, oh. I was in second grade when we got to Cincinnati, and uh, so I, I missed it by about this much, but I, I consider myself a, a Cincinnatian tried and true.
1: Yeah, mostly Cincinnati then. Okay, where'd you come from?
0: Uh, where did I come from? Started off in Connecticut, moved to California, spent a year in Illinois, so okay, a little, little bit of bouncing around before we landed here. Uh, okay, very good.
1: And then, so what high school did you end up going to here?
0: I ended up going to uh, Lakota, out in Westchester. Okay, there you go, up north. Yeah, yeah, and that would have been the original Lakota before the east-west split.
1: Aha! Uh-huh. I always wonder why it was east-west, because they're really more north-south.
0: And they really are more north-south, aren't they?
1: Yeah. I noticed I used to uh, work out that way, and I noticed I would drive by the one on the way, and I noticed, you know, hey, this it seems like they should, you should be more north and south, because they're... They're, they're, they're only slightly east and west of each other, but they're very north and south of each other.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. So what do you do exactly at the parks? What is your position?
0: So I'm a park naturalist with the Cincinnati Park Board. I'm stationed at the Trailside Nature Center in Burnett Woods. Um, and as such, uh, we do a lot of educational programming. Uh, we do programs for school-age children, families, adults, seniors, uh, even infants.
1: Okay. And how do you get into the parks business? Like from after Lakota, where did you go?
0: Uh, you know, it's funny. I uh, grew up playing in a lot of these parks. I mean, I was familiar with all of them as a child. I have my bachelor's from the University of Cincinnati, which strangely enough is located right across the street from me here in Burnett. Um, and I got a degree in cultural anthropology. I was really fascinated by native cultures and how they use the environment for food and Clothing and tools and etc. And as I was finishing up, there was a posting for a um, summer camp counselor position. I thought, well, that that'd be fun. And uh, so I did that the first summer, and and I was hooked for life at that point.
1: So growing up, you had an interest in in the parks as a whole, and kind of the and you said in Indian culture.
0: Uh it, yeah, I mean I just had a, a interest in all things nature. I grew up in that time when you played outside every day. You know, the sun would set, and you had to be home, you know, before it was too terribly dark. And uh, so, you know, riding bikes, uh, exploring the woods, um, it's just all of that, you know, creaking, all of that great outdoor activities that um, you know can't help but inspire a love for the natural world and its surroundings. That's
1: cool. And did you have a notion that you would stay in Cincinnati or did you have uh, thoughts of going on to like the work at national parks or uh, how, how, did, how did you come to be with great parks? I guess it'd be a, a better question. Well,
0: with, with Cincinnati Park, you know, again, it was that uh, I did. I tried to leave Cincinnati. Um, as I mentioned earlier, they, they put something in the water to kind of bring you back. Yeah, I was interested in the national park system, uh, interested in horticulture as well. Um, and again, what really started it for me was that opportunity to be a uh, summer camp counselor here with the uh, the parks nature education program. Um, and for eight weeks, every day we were out in a park, exploring the forest, hiking, creaking, catching bugs. Uh, and I just thought, you know, what what a wonderful life to not only be out in nature every day, and not be out in a park, but then to share this wonderful experience with uh, children and you know, teach them all the cool things I had learned over the years.
1: So the the park system is is pretty old. I thought it was actually older than it is. Can, do, do you know any kind of the history of uh, the well? It was formerly the Hamilton County Park District. Today we well, know it well, is Great Parks. Well, actually,
0: park. no. We're the Cincinnati Parks. Um, Hamilton County Parks are a completely different entity. Uh, they oh. go by the name of Great Parks. Okay. Uh, the Cincinnati Park Board. This is the original park system here in the city of Cincinnati. Aha. Uh-huh. And um, we kind of trace our first park back. to to 1817. Okay, I uh, thought so. Park, and uh, that part came about uh, when John and Benjamin Pyatt purchased an acre of land downtown uh, for the creation of a public market space. Uh, this would have been very similar to Finley Market that we all know today or the Court Street Market. Uh, however, that land was never developed and it remained a little bit of green open space downtown, which, you know, in that densely crowded urban basin, a lot of uh, people were attracted to this open space where there was some lawn and some trees and that really is the first park in cincinnati in 1817 not officially a park at that time later on developed but
1: aha uh-huh. yeah that's kind of a, a kind of the uh, i guess you would say a, a byproduct of the industrial age is once we have people moving to cities, they immediately need green space. I uh, saw a documentary on British TV about the parks around Birmingham, England, and Birmingham was a very industrial city, one of the first industrialized cities in England, and they almost immediately realized, hey, we need a lot of uh, green space too, because otherwise people are just packed into these houses, and uh, that's very unhealthy.
0: You're, you're exactly right. And it, uh, it wasn't so much the uh, city government that uh, realized there was a need for park. It was the citizens themselves. You know, the city sitting in the basin there um, really kind of collected all of the pollutants, whether it was uh, burning wood, wood smoke, coal. It was a densely crowded urban basin. And any opportunity for the public to kind of uh, find a place where they could catch their breath was, you know, very important to the people of the time.
1: So they're actually, I'm looking at the list. here, There are a lot of parks that City of Cincinnati oversees. Is that or the that,
0: that of is it? correct? We have over a hundred parks in our system, and it spans a range from little neighborhood pocket parks, yeah, uh, to our Mount Airy Forest, which is the 57th largest city park in the nation. Aha! Uh-huh. And uh, how was uh, that's
1: probably one of the best known as well? How was Mount Airy Forest acquired by the City of Cincinnati?
0: That's really a fascinating story. Um, That was the nation's first municipal city led urban reforestation project. Uh, During the 1800s, that land was largely a series of um, uh, truck farms. These were vegetable and dairy farms that provided the produce for the markets downtown. Uh, and it's hard to imagine Mount Airy Forest kind of like really being out in the country at that time, but it was, it was a stretch to get out there. Um, the landscape due to the farming practices of the time was just greatly eroded and degraded. And uh, they realized in 1911 that there was a wonderful opportunity here to create um, at that time what they envisioned as an urban forest reserve. So they started to purchase these farm properties and, um, you know, started the process of reforesting them. In some cases, literally putting acorns in the ground to get the oak trees to grow.
1: So even back then, there was an idea that we needed to replenish the uh, the, the places we had deforested.
0: Ex- exactly right. Exactly right.
1: Interesting. And of course, Eden Park is another probably well-known city park. And has that always been a park or was that someone's private land at one point? Because I remember we talked to the Taft Museum folks and Taft's property Shot off from behind what is now the museum, all the way up the hill into Mount Adams and and beyond.
0: Yeah, that was originally um, the property that belonged to Nicholas Longworth. He owned; uh, he was probably the number one landholder at one time in the city of Cincinnati. That was his um, Garden of Eden estate, so to speak. And um, he was responsible for the wine industry really developing here in Cincinnati during the mid 1800s. And so a lot of those hillsides were terraced for the cultivation of grapes for his famous uh, Catawba sparkling wine. And um, he wanted to see that land preserved and uh, very early on offered it to the city at that time, a reduced rate. The city didn't think that they should be in the business of operating and owning parks at at this time period, you know, the mid-1800s. It wasn't until that uh, we needed to secure a site for uh, reservoirs to secure our water supply uh, that uh, we started to purchase land up there in uh, Mount Adams for the creation of the reservoirs.
1: Uh, oh yeah, and the reservoir, of course, is uh, you see that in old photos all the time. How long was the reservoir there?
0: Well, you know, it's funny. The reservoir is still there today. If you visit Eden Park and you're driving through, let's say you're making your way to the Crone Conservatory, um, you'll pass the little springhouse gazebo. And you'll see Mirror Lake there, and there's the the Meacham Thalman that shoots water, you know, sixty feet up into the air. Uh, there, the reservoir today is located underneath Mirror Lake.
1: Oh, okay, and but, but you can still see the old retaining wall there too.
0: <laughs> exactly right. Those were the first reservoirs that were put in place. Okay. Um, they were open air, and they were kind of designed to be naturalistic and have the um, appearance of uh, lakes that were naturally seated within the landscape. Those were eventually decommissioned, and a move was made uh, later in the 1900s to enclose the reservoir and thereby further protect that water supply. But uh, Uh, Eden Park still functions today as a location for the reservoir that furnishes a great amount of the water that makes its way down into the urban basin and the surrounding Walnut Hills community.
1: And you're saying the actual reservoir is under Mirror Lake.
0: The actual reservoir today is located, uh, yeah, in one of the reservoir basins under Mirror Lake, yep. So when you're there and you're walking around Mirror Lake and that fountain's shooting up into the air, you're actually walking above the enclosed reservoir today.
1: So the Mirror Lake is kind of like a lid. It it exactly is. Oh, wow. I never knew that. So you were saying that they didn't think they should be in the park business. Who was running the parks from 1817 up until the point where they discovered And when did they realize, hey, the city should probably uh, start administering some of these areas?
0: Um, It was really – Kind of the, uh, the social class that, um, you know, the boosters of the city. That wasn't so much city government, but it was the, the well-to-do that um, were kind of looking around at other cities, for example, New York and Philadelphia, and they were beginning to realize that cities of great note had great parks or great park systems. And uh, there was a fear that Cincinnati was starting to lag behind in these efforts. During the latter half of the 1800s, we only had six parks in our system, and we had a population of well over 300,000 people for those six parks. So it really wasn't until 1907 that the modern park system developed, the one that we're all familiar with today, and get to enjoy it.
1: And how does that come about? Do they finally get together and say, hey, we've got all these parks here. Maybe we should bring them under, under one roof, as it were.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. Again, this was the will of the citizens. There was actually a vote in 1906 to create a greater park league and form a park board, which started functioning fully in 1907. Uh, The very first commissioner was uh, Levi Addison Alt of Alt Park fame. Uh And they set about acquiring property at a, a great clip. When they started, they had somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 acres worth of parkland. And at the end of his term, we were over 2,000 acres of parkland.
1: And how much do we have today for comparison?
0: Goodness. Today, the Cincinnati Park Board is responsible for over 10% of the city's land mass. Oh, wow. That's a combination of parks, parkways, green spaces – and other properties that we are responsible for maintaining. So for a city of our size, having 10% of it, you know, essentially in a green state, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to have as a city.
1: And is there an effort to acquire more land and green space? I know here in Anderson Township, they'll set aside, even if it's a little tiny one plot of land, there's always interest in, in grabbing that up and making sure it doesn't get developed so we still have a lot of green space here in the township. Is that kind of the effort? same effort in the city?
0: Yes, uh, you know, the city's park system uh, is still growing today. Um, our most recent addition is probably one of our most popular. It's our Smale Riverfront Park. Oh, yeah. And um, yes, what, what a gem that is now in our crown. And again, you know, we look at this waterfront and realize the asset that we have there. And um, as land becomes available, if it is suitable for parks or serving underneath, uh, underserved communities, Uh, There is an effort to acquire that land and uh, preserve it and, you know, development for the public and the people.
1: So another, I guess, well-known park – I forgot that was part of the Cincinnati park system, but it makes sense, of course, uh, along with Smell – is Sawyer Point. And uh, when when does Sawyer Point come along? In the Uh, mid-'70s, no?
0: Uh, that's what, yeah, Sawyer Point really kind of develops uh, the uh, mid 1960s, early 1970s, and that was the first bit of um, what was that really industrial working riverfront. Uh, the start of the transformation that uh, you know leads to the riverfront that we're all familiar with today. That ability to kind of start in Smale and walk down to Sawyer Point, and you find yourself in Bicentennial Commons and. You pass the Montgomery and Boathouse and you're in French Park or Friendship Park. Um, Sawyer Point was really the ball that got all of that rolling as the waterfront began to transition from parking lots and warehouses and industry to the green spaces that we know and love today.
1: Because that would be a good point to bring up the question of, and this has happened in a lot of cities, where the uh, the either riverfront or lakefront, in the case of Cleveland and some other cities, is uh, kind of cut off from the downtown area. And I know there has been talk for years and years of they did. I guess when they redid Fort Washington Way, they were going to put little lids over top of it, so it would be easier to walk from downtown straight into the park areas. Is that still an idea? Is that something that they lament now and want to correct? or what is, Where does No, that actually,
0: is? when they uh, constructed the newly, the new uh, Fort Washington way that we're all familiar with, they actually constructed it so that that lid can be put on. So that is still a possibility today. And from time to time, you will hear plans kind of rattling around for exactly doing that, uh, capping that open air space over the trench and um Uh, Some kind of mixed-use green space development to really kind of link the city up with the banks and the waterfront parks.
1: And was that the design all along? Is that why it is in a trench like that, do you know? Or is that just the way that it ended up?
0: I, I think that was just the way it ended up. Uh, the city waterfront um, was actually a series of terraces at the time of settlement, flood terraces where the water would kind of come up and recede. And you can kind of still experience this today when you make your way up into the city uh, from, the, from the actual water's edge. Um, if you realize uh, kind of like where the stadiums are there on second, uh, and you cross to third and then you make your way up to fourth, And then you make your way up again. So originally that waterfront was terraced just by the natural flow, ebb and flow of the Ohio River.
1: It's interesting how, when you look at other cities, how they uh, handled that. Uh, Cleveland did a very bad job of cutting their lakefront off from the rest of the city. And now they've developed the lakefront, but there's still only one narrow street to get to it from downtown, basically. Uh, I think there's one other way now by the football stadium that you can also walk. But, yeah, they've they've had a terrible time trying to get that sorted. Chicago bent their freeway around the back of the loop, but you still have to cross a busy road to get to their parks. But uh, do, you, do you guys take inspiration from how other cities have handled problems? Not just with, with that, but with, like, with any other kind of park issues?
0: Yeah, exactly. We, what we do is we like to go and visit other cities and see what they're doing um, see what problems they've run into along the way so that we could potentially avoid them and, you know, gain inspiration at the same time. Um, so when we look at developing new park space, and, and this happened when we were doing Smail, we take inspiration by getting out there and seeing what else has been done, you know, sometimes incorporating the best and brightest ideas and, you know, avoiding the pitfalls along the way.
1: Uh, so I kind of wanted to go through some of these parks here that people might be more familiar with, that uh, even from other parts of the city. And you see you're in Burnett Woods. Burnett Woods has got to be one of the oldest parks in the city, no?
0: Yeah, it's the sixth oldest park in the city. The city leased the land in 1872, and then it opened to the public in 1873. So the first six parks within the city were Pyatt's. Uh, Lincoln Park, which is now where the uh, Union Terminal, uh, the Cincinnati Museum Center sits. Yeah. Washington Park, um, Hopkins Park, which is over in Mount Auburn, and then we have Mount Eden or uh, Eden Park and Burnett Woods.
1: Okay, and then uh, back to Eden Park. That one of the reasons I contacted you folks originally to be on the podcast is uh, the conservatory kind of unique. I don't normally know other places I've lived that have a building quite like the, the Urban M. Crone Conservatory. Uh, how did we get that?
0: You know, that's a really interesting story. Very early on, there was a need to produce plant material for our park system. And the with the park system, we did that ourselves. We grew out the annuals and the perennials that would be planted in the flower beds at the various parks. So we needed a greenhouse structure to do it. And the very first greenhouse uh, was located in Eden Park. And it was very popular with the public. Now, it wasn't open to the public at that time, but they would kind of come and look in the windows and see all the beautiful flowers. And um, uh, it was so popular that we actually raised that first structure and we built a second greenhouse on that site. And now the second house was larger and we were still producing plant material. But now it was open for tours to the public and you could take horticultural classes there. Um, again, just very popular, beautiful feature within Eden Park. That second structure was eventually raised to make way for the Crone Conservatory, which opened to the public in the 1930s, and it's the Crone Conservatory that we all enjoy today. So that's the third greenhouse or conservatory to sit on that site. Hmm.
1: And then, of course, within it now, though, there's aren't just plants indigenous to this area, but they, they have all kinds of like exotic species and stuff, especially in that main room where the big waterfall is.
0: Yes, today it's a true conservatory where we have the palm house and the fern house and the desert house, uh, the bonsai collection. Um, so, yeah, we've moved beyond that point where we were producing plant material, uh, you know, for planting within the different parks to a traditional conservatory role where kind of a living museum of plant specimens.
1: That brings up another question I was wondering about, like of invasive species. Uh, I guess not only of plants, but of animals, too. Is that a, a problem in the parks? Because I know back in the 70s, of course, everybody was talking about kudzu, which is mainly a problem in the south. It was supposed to work its way up north, but I guess it's not. It, it doesn't survive winters very well. But are there things like that in the parks that are kind of an issue that need to be taken care of?
0: There are, unfortunately, any number of non-native invasive species that we have to deal with on a, on a daily basis. Uh, most Cincinnatians at this point are familiar with the bush honeysuckle that uh, has filled up a lot of our woodlands. We also have smaller uh, herbaceous plants like garlic mustard or lesser celandine, um, Japanese honeysuckle, which is a vine. And unfortunately, I hate to say it, we do have kudzu now um, here right. in the city of Cincinnati. It's it's not predominant like down in the south, but it is here. So. It takes a lot of time and effort uh, to control those invasives. We're very lucky to have a great volunteer community that um, assists us in their control and removal. As far as uh, invasive animal species, um, not sure if you would consider them exactly invasive, but uh, many Cincinnatians are familiar with our famous Lazarus lizards or the European fence lizard, which are now found in any number of our parks as well. Hmm. So uh,
1: getting back to the plants, where did the invasive plants come from? I know a lot of this, the animals probably wind up here as either discarded pets or uh, things that people thought might make a good pet, but uh, how did the, the plants get here? Is it people that maybe bring them from other parts of the country and they just get out of control in their yard? And
0: yeah, a variety of uh, means. For Some were brought over as horticultural specimens. They were brought here specifically to plant and enhance the environment and provide beauty or color. And over time, they took to our climate and our conditions here. They had no natural insect predators or pathogens that affected them. And they were able to outproduce and outcompete against our native flora. In some cases, you know, there are accidental introductions. Uh, The emerald ash borer is one, uh, not specifically a plant, but an introduced insect species that uh, decimated our ash tree population. In some cases, like the bush honeysuckle, uh, there was a time when the Department of Natural Resources actually promoted the planting of this uh, bush for some soil stabilization. Yeah. For kind of holding back the earth there and uh, even as a cover for habitat, for wildlife.
1: Well, that's how Kudzu ended up in the south. They thought this would be great for holding up uh, embankments and hillsides and things like that. Is that something that is still done? Do they still look to import? Plants from that aren't native to the area anymore, or have they learned their lesson? Like there, there's probably some. Uh,
0: you know, today um, the invasive plant problem that we deal with is a, a well-known not only within the park systems and the departments of natural resources, but the the public is getting a greater awareness of this too. And I think when an opportunity arrives, the first thing people do today is is there a native alternative? Uh-huh. Is there something that grows here locally, regionally, that would be uh, a better fix for the problem than, say, a European or an Asian plant species that does not belong here? So does kudzu grow that fast
1: here, as if, as fast as it does down south, or, or is it, like, uh, controlled by the winter and the colder climate?
0: It, it is controlled to some degree by the winter climate here in Cincinnati. So um, there are a couple instances where it is found around town but as you know as you travel south it it's like a green bomb has gone off in some locations so the climate here does seem to be controlling its um, aggressive spread
1: how do you get rid of it you just pull it out by hand like you said with volunteers or is there a, a an herbicide um, that's used or
0: Both factors, yes. We will use um, just straight up mechanical controls. We will pull it out, dig it out, cut it out. Sometimes we do have to resort to herbicides, uh, but when we do, we try and be very um, selective and controlled in their use. So it takes, and again, a lot of volunteer man hours to assist us in these projects. Uh, We really couldn't do it without our volunteer support that we have.
1: I'm just fascinated by Kudzu ever since I was a kid, because there was a big story on uh, like shows like That's Incredible, and um, what was the other one? Um, um, believe It or Not? Maybe, no, something like But they always would do stories on it. I went, we went to visit my uh, grandfather's family in northern Georgia, and we were, my, we were at my uncle's place, and it was all on the hillside, and I pulled off a leaf to look at it, and then I tossed it aside, and he said, please don't throw that there because he thought it was going to grow right in the driveway <laughs> because it just grows that fast. And I guess after, what, 30, 40 years now, they still haven't found a way to eradicate it.
0: No, they, they haven't. So, uh, you know, uh, some of these invasive plant species we will be dealing with for quite, quite some time to come. I mean there, are, there are, are not easy answers to dealing with these plants that have made themselves at home here.
1: Are they, you said the ash borer, where did that one come from?
0: Uh, So the emerald ash borer um, originally kind of came to note uh, up in Michigan. Uh, That's where I believe the uh, first greatest infestation was. We believe that the insect um, hitchhiked a ride here in wood pallets that were used for shipping. I believe it's European in origin. Uh, Don't quote me on that. Uh, but when it arrived here in uh, America, again, no natural predators, no natural defenses to this insect. And it literally moved through our forests like wildfire. Just, huh. um, They deposit their eggs underneath the bark of our mature ash trees. And when the eggs hatch, the larvae feed on the living tissue of the tree. And if the infestation was bad enough, it could kill you know, 100, 150-year-old ash trees um, in the course of a season. Uh, it was wow. devastating.
1: Were the ash trees able to recover, or did we lose most well, of
0: Well, uh, yeah, yes and no. So the ash borer needed a tree of a certain size diameter to lay its eggs in. So what this meant for us is that a lot of our young ash trees, the seedlings and saplings that were growing at the time, they're still out there in the forest. Uh, it will take some time to recover. Uh, the problem is the ash borer is still loose here in the you know eastern forest, so... The tree has not gone extinct. They're, they're still out there, but so is the ash borer.
1: Have they thought of introducing a predator to that, or are we just opening another can of worms as it were doing
0: That's, that? you know you got to be careful when you think of uh, bringing in another non-native species to control one that is already in the environment. Uh, because, it, like you said, it may be another can of worms that uh, we, we don't know that we're opening.
1: Okay, so getting into some other of the more well-known parks, we touched on uh, the River it was Alms or Alt Park, but those are two really popular ones. I know people are f- pretty familiar with how we got Alt Park, but can you walk us through that one?
0: Um, Alt Park, yeah. So the land out there that was to become Alt Park was actually a um, couple of homesteads out there. I believe there were about five or six properties and. In- Levi Addison Alt he loved that area. He thought it was absolutely beautiful. Uh, the views of the Little Miami River Valley down below uh, just were stunning. And so he set about actually acquiring these properties and knitting them together and creating Alt Park that we know today. Uh, the beautiful gardens and grounds out there were the result of work by landscape architect A.D. Taylor, and Ad Taylor is of note because he actually uh, was responsible for the design of the Pentagon.
1: Oh, so where does that main structure come from
0: then that we see in the park? So the old park pavilion opened to the uh, public in the uh, early 1930s. Um, the design for this work was, uh, you know, came out of the Roaring Twenties when the country was flush with cash and and promise and vigor. And Alt said that the view there was so beautiful that it deserved a structure no less impressive than the Parthenon. And so he was really Uh instrumental in getting that pavilion um, sited and placed within Alt Park.
1: And then it's, uh, I guess we would call it Sibling Park on the other side of, because I guess it's all the same big, large hill uh, as Alms Park which overlooks the Ohio directly, whereas Alt is looking over the uh, Lunkin Airport and Little Miami. So how do we get Alms Park?
0: So Alms Park actually was a uh, donation of land. Uh, Originally, it belonged to uh, Frederick Alms of the Alms and Depke Department Store downtown. And upon his passing, his wife, they wanted to preserve. Many Cincinnatians wanted to make a gift to the city and the citizens and having their um, estates or their their land uh, preserved and not developed. Um, And that's kind of how Alms Park came along. Originally, it was a gift of land upon Frederick Alms passing to be preserved as a park and green space for the citizens of Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, – people forget about Alms Park, and uh, it's just as lovely as Alt Park if you're out Oh,
0: there. it truly really is. Those yeah. entrance piers there, when you enter the park too, the stone uh, piers there, also designed by um, A.D. Taylor. Uh, we have that beautiful little pavilion uh, within the park and then that commanding view of the river valley down below. And uh, what's interesting, prior to the Alms owning that land, that was originally part of Nicholas Longworth's vineyards. Oh. Uh, we actually have a uh, wine cellar still located in the park today, and there were four press houses there that would process the grapes originally. Uh,
1: so that stretched all the way from Eden Park all the way down the river. That was all one long it, continuous. You,
0: you are exactly correct. Wow, man! Yes,
1: yeah, But you forget how like how much farmland uh, is actually. What this was, you know, even now. I've uh, had this discussion before with some other folks. You know, when you go, in, people think, "Oh, Anderson Township—it's a—it's a big suburb." But we still have farms in Anderson Township. Oh, yes. Not many, but they're—they're they're disappearing in favor of housing developments. So with Fountain Square, and I guess it's kind of the same with Washington Park—that's uh, a Cincinnati park, but then it's also sort of—is it? Uh, how does three CDC fit into that? Because I know when we do events there we do them through 3CDC. Do they just run that kind of part of it and you guys take care of the actual park part of it? How does that relationship work? Yeah, so
0: 3CDC, our work with 3CDC has been instrumental in really activating some of these parks and bringing in the uh, the festivals and the activities that take place. Uh, When you look at the floral beds and the maintenance of the trees and if there's lawn area, in the case of Washington Park, that's park board staff that goes in and is responsible for... Uh, the planting and the care and the maintenance of the uh, horticultural specimens within these spaces. Uh, 3CDC really kind of serves that um, activation of the park spaces through concerts and music and, you know, as I mentioned, festivals and fairs that uh, take place on those sites. So
1: even before there was actually a fountain, was Fountain Square always a park or park space or was it designated a park space later on?
0: That was actually originally one of the public market spaces uh, like Findlay Market and Court Street Market. Ah. That was actually the um, – kind of the city butcher's market was located there.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. And then uh, we get the Tyler Davidson Fountain in the 1800s. And that – I'm trying to remember. I wrote the blog post about this and I can't remember the story of how uh, the the fountain w- wound up there.
0: Tyler- the, the, the genius of water, um, he was uh, – Very concerned with the amount of alcohol being consumed within the city. We have a a great tradition of not only uh, producing wine, but uh, producing beer as well. And we still have this great tradition today. Uh, He wanted to provide fresh drinking water for the citizens as an alternative to all the wine and beer that we were consuming uh, here locally.
1: That's right, and the, the the little fountains coming off the side but are actually where they would they used to have tin cups hanging back before they knew anything about hygiene, where you could actually get a sip
0: of water. Exactly right. Uh, we also have the uh, probasco fountain up in here in uh, on Clifton Avenue by the old Clifton Public School. Uh, really fascinating design for that one, in that there are three levels there originally when it was designed, and one was a level where uh, a rider on horseback could procure a fresh cup of water. Oh wow. The main basin was for your horse to drink out of, and to either side there was a lower basin where dogs could also replenish themselves. Oh, is that still an active fountain? Uh yes, it's still an active fountain today, and actually one of the spigots still provides potable water, so you can go up to that fountain and cup your hands and get a uh, oh, fresh drink of water. Neat. And where is that at? That is on Clifton Avenue here in the Clifton neighborhood, okay. and it's in front of the old Clifton Public School here locally. Uh-huh. Uh huh.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I'm looking at the list here Lytle Park, of course, famous for its Lincoln statue and famous for being saved in the 1960s when the aforementioned Fort Washington Way rolled through. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, Exactly. That was uh, Cincinnati's first freeway park or um, open air park. Uh, As you mentioned, it's on top of the lid that covers Lytle um, uh, the Lytle Tunnel there. Yeah. Uh, Even even the statue of Lincoln was very interesting. In that, uh, I'm sure you're aware, um, Lincoln is depicted beardless there, and at the time that was uh, somewhat controversial to uh, not see Abe Lincoln with his beard there.
1: And how did that? I forget the story. How did did the statue of Lincoln end up in Lytle Park?
0: Uh Lincoln actually came to Cincinnati um on one of his travels and when he stayed here for a period of time and he actually went to visit uh Nicholas Longworth he had heard about Longworth's gardens at his home and estate which today we know of as the uh, Taft House and so Lincoln actually called on Longworth to pay him a visit to see his grounds and gardens Aha
1: uh-huh. And it's one of the smaller parks, I guess, in the city because it's um, it isn't. It's only it's only bound by those two little streets there, and it's uh, well for people get, kind of get their bearings. It's the Tap Museum faces Lytle Park. Yes. Yeah, and you're a block from from Fifth Street. So, yeah, but it's a nice uh, it's a nice little park there, and it's, uh, it's a
0: beautiful little park. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it was. I'm always fascinated by the the effort they undertook. To save it back in the '60s, because a lot of other places and a lot of other terms were like, ah, the heck with it. And well, it, you know, they got rid of what the, the one park to build the uh, Union Terminal, Lincoln Park. So, uh, so why was Lido Park? Well, why do you think the effort was to so uh, to save you, that? You know, one?
0: that's the dawn of the modern environmental movement. Uh, the, the '60s, leading into the first Earth Day in 1970. And I people began to kind of look around them at the uh the environment and what we had done to it and realize that there was a need to preserve these green spaces, uh the so-called lungs of the city, uh how important they were. And you know, we still reap those benefits today uh in having those parks and green spaces and um uh for the people and for the city.
1: Uh, the other one I'm curious about because it's over by me, and it's just uh, kind of it's, it's kind of at the edge of the city at the California Woods because my wife and I have hiked in there before. And uh, I know a railroad used to go through there at one point. But uh, how was California Woods acquired?
0: Yeah, that's a very interesting story. So uh, California Woods, uh, prior to becoming California Woods, uh, was actually known as uh, Waterworks Park. Uh, The railroad you mentioned was the Cincinnati, Georgetown, and Portsmouth. Uh, There was a spur, a junction that ran through there. Uh, And this junction actually took a lot of the original uh, heavy equipment out to the waterworks facility, which is located right across Kellogg there from California woods. Uh, During the flood, uh, during uh, the the great flood we had there in the 30s, uh, 1937, I believe, that's institution out there that was uh, the waterworks was really cut off and at that time apple hill road was constructed that's kind of the back boundary there of the park yeah to provide relief to the waterworks people that were kind of surrounded there uh cut off ah. by the floodwaters
1: okay um, yeah apple hill runs out onto salem at the one end that is correct. Yeah. We almost bought a house there. We, we looked at a house yeah. there once. Yeah. Interesting. I did not know that, that that was constructed yeah. to, to, to deposit you in the township. Yeah. To get, so for folks to get their bearings, a lot of the railroad bed uh, for that is actually runs along the, let me get my bearings here, northern edge of Luncan Field, right? Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Well, actually, so the Cincinnati, Georgetown, and Portsmouth that pushed out into California woods uh, would have would have cut across probably the southern portion of the Lunkin Airport. It is, field. okay. Yeah,
1: I'm turned around. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's okay. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll, if you go hiking over at our Magrish Riverlands Preserve and you look across the Little Miami River, you will actually see one of the stone piers for the railroad bridge that would have crossed oh. the Little Miami River there.
1: I was wondering about that. So the parking area where like Salem comes down and meets Kellogg? exactly right yes. okay yeah yeah i dropped my wife and daughter off there uh to walk and uh they walked from there to auto Omeletter. i parked at auto Omeletter and then walked and met them and then we walked back to the car we had parked at uh, Omeletter. it's uh that's quite a hike but yeah i think the um a lot of the right-of-way for the railroad is the walking path on the southern end of Lunken, and yeah there's uh there's been folks that have there's some guy that he has a he had a uh, web page for a long time. Him and his son traced the entire route of the railroad, and uh, yeah, there's still other trestles that you can still see there as well. It's uh, it's fascinating.
0: Yeah, it's really great history, and that's actually a nationally recre- uh, recognized recreation trail, the Junction Trail within California Woods. And uh, you know, it's funny you bring up a good point. There is the connectivity of our park system, and like you mentioned, you can park somewhere and drop off the family or, or even yourself if you got your bike, and and go from park to park to park and, uh, you know, not really leave the park system. And part of that was originally part of this design in 1907 as we built out our park system that we're familiar with today. And that's where our parkways come from. Um, the idea is that as you drove along Columbia Parkway, or Central Parkway, or even Torrance Parkway, you were forever within a park driving oh. to these major destinations.
1: Oh, so that's where we, that's, and that's why they specifically use the terminology Parkway. Exactly right. I never knew that. Yeah, because Columbia Parkway comes along, what, after, is that after World War II, or is that before World War II? Um, uh, I
0: can't remember. in that time period. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. And that, that was right before we get freeways. Um, and then the idea is abandoned. Yeah, you were saying about the the, the connectivity of the parks. That's a, a big thing in Cleveland. They call it the Emerald Necklace. And they had the same notion, too, to connect all the parks in a big string uh, and then even connect them with parks in the other surrounding counties. So um, I, I guess that's still a, a, a Midwestern notion, it, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Cleveland has their uh, Emerald Necklace, and the Queen City has her Emerald Crown of Parks.
1: Oh, yeah, I guess it would work that way, the way since we border on the Ohio River like that. So, uh, you know, we, you said you can go into California woods and kind of still see. And in fact, I think you folks posted a uh, video somewhere or a, a blog post somewhere showing that where you could actually kind of see where the old right-of-way was and where the, uh, the the junction was and all that. You can still find that in California woods. Um, are there any other interesting things in the other parks that you can... You, you mentioned the public fountain across from Clifton School. Any other cool old historical things like that that are... Uh, you can still see the remnants of
0: in the other parks? Uh, There's so many. I'll tell you what. If you hike through our park systems, uh, many of them uh, during the 1800s, these were uh, working farms. And so a lot of them had limestone quarries where they would quarry the rock for their needs. And these limestone quarries, these old abandoned limestone quarries are still um, there on the hillsides today. In some cases, uh, you will find... um, Uh, The abandoned cisterns, the the water wells for the old farm properties, they've been filled in now, but Mm -hmm. there's still remnants on the landscape. What else? Oh, uh, my favorite, in Mount Airy Forest, prior to the invention of barbed wire, farmers used living fence rows of plants that had thorns, uh, trees or shrubs like roses and whatnot. Um, In Mount Airy Forest, there is a living fence row of Osage Orange, and it goes right up a hillside, and when it gets to the top – This living fence row of trees makes a 90-degree turn and goes down the next hillside, and it's still growing there uh, practically a century later. Um, Prior to the invention of barbed wire in the uh, late 1800s, there was somewhere between 50 to 60,000 linear miles of Osage Orange planted to keep animals within their pastures.
1: Oh, wow. That's wild. And so, what does the future of the park system hold? Is it to uh, acquire more, more and more land, or to do some other cool things with the land that you have, or both? What's kind of? It?
0: Well, right now, the the one of the big focus in the park system is uh, finishing up along uh, Smale. Uh, the new music venue is nearing completion, and the. Space above the parking garage uh, between the music venue and Carol Ann's carousel uh, will be the next piece of uh, major green infrastructure uh, that the park board will be installing. Uh, so we look forward to that coming online very soon. Um, going back to one of our older parks in Eden Park, uh, we will also be bringing online this spring um, our Tom Jones Collins uh, Commons. And this will actually be located in the lower reservoir basin, uh, just underneath or below where the Mirror Lake is. And Tom Jones Commons is going to feature walking pathways, uh, nature playscape for the children, uh, shelter, uh, some wetland features, water features. Uh, so it'll be just another great asset within a really old park there to for the public to enjoy.
1: So what are kind of the trends then with parks? And is it uh, more spaces just to walk, Do you adding biking trails, because people are, you know, walkers and bikers. I mean, I think people have pretty much gotten it sorted, pass on the left, you know, walk on the right, things like that. So it's not, everyone's kind of getting along in that respect. But, uh, or, is, or is there another push to maybe, you know, learn about, put more, because like, I see all these signs in all the different parks about telling you about the different foliage and fauna that can be found in the parks. Is there more of an effort to do that too, because people are kind of getting more interested in that?
0: Yeah, what I love about our park system is that there is is honestly something for everyone. If you want to escape into the natural world, we have great preserves to go explore. If you are interested in art and architecture, go down to Friendship Park and see some of the beautiful pieces of artwork within there. If you are into off-road biking, uh, go over to Mount Airy Forest and hit the mountain bike trails. Um, If you have a four-legged friend at home, go visit one of our dog parks. You know, if you're looking for a great playground, there's so many parks that have wonderful features for the children. Uh, The Overlook Parks, uh, Bellevue and um, uh, Oldenburg Park and Fairview Park. I mean, just we literally have something for everybody in a Cincinnati park.
1: And so folks can uh, find out more, of course, at CincinnatiParks.com, easy enough. Yeah. And and any other resources you have, uh, social media or any other place folks can find out more or is a good place to start CincinnatiParks.com?
0: So a great place to to start is CincinnatiParks.com. If you're looking for something to do in a park, um, visit the calendar page and all of the park programs will be listed there. Uh, it'll also show you um, all of the parks that we have within our system, so you might find a park that uh, may be new to you and, and I encourage you to get out and explore our park system. Uh, we also have a social media, uh, if you go to the Cincinnati Parks Facebook page, um, you'll see promotions about upcoming events, uh, you'll see great uh, social media pieces on the history of our parks, uh, what's going on at Crone, volunteer events. So these are great places. If you want to start really exploring your park system, uh, I would start I would start there.
1: And that's uh, a good thing to do probably as we're coming out of the pandemic because you can still be distanced because we have so much space in all the parks for the most part that uh, it would be a good thing for folks to do.
0: Yes, I, I agree. Get out. I mean, to have a world-class park system like we have, uh, not every city can boast what we have. I mean, we are a nationally recognized, highly rated park system and you know if you kind of grow up here sometimes you take this for granted get out and explore your cincinnati parks Uh, i guarantee everybody listening to this can get out there and find new one new park that they have not visited or did not know existed within our Cincinnati Park system.
1: For sure, because I was looking at the list, and it's huge. Like I said, we we hit on the big ones that everybody knows, even if, you know, no matter what part of the city you're from, you probably know Lytle Park and, of course, Sawyer Point, Smale, and all those. So, uh, yeah, do do go, and uh, there's probably one right around the corner from you, literally.
0: Exactly right. And that was kind of the intent of the uh, design uh, in 1907 as the park system uh, grew was to provide parks for everyone uh, throughout the city and have them connected by these parkways.
1: And anything else you want to add that folks should know about the parks?
0: The cicadas are coming.
1: Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk. About, we're going we're to talk to somebody next week from the zoo about cicadas. Oh, but uh is that that will probably drive down – park i don't you know in 2004 i don't recall them being that bad but then again we live pretty much in the woods now our 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 house borders a 40 acre plot of woods so i'm reckoning it's going to be pretty bad
0: well you know bad such a subjective term this is such a wonderful natural event that we get to experience here this only happens here in cincinnati once every 17 years uh, it's absolutely fascinating. These creatures are harmless. Uh, they don't bite. They don't sting. Sure, they're big and clumsy, but um, to you know, a lot of people think you need to go to the Amazon or the plains of Africa to see some kind of great natural uh, phenomena. And we have it right here in our own backyards. And to experience it at its fullest, all you got to do is visit a Cincinnati park. Actually, you don't have to go much farther than your own backyard, to be honest.
1: Really? Yeah. And even now, as of this recording, there are reports of those little domes appearing in the ground that some of them are making their way uh, out of the ground. Uh,
0: They're they're preparing for the great emergence. So, yes, the the little mud chimneys are being formed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've seen them this week. Uh, You can kind of get out and start exploring on your own. You'll find them at the bases of trees. Uh Uh, And these are going to be the emergence tunnels that the cicada nymphs will exit from when the ground temperature hits 64 degrees.
1: Wow. All right. Well, only last order of business here then, Uh, Michael, is uh, the guest gets to pick a coupon code on our show each week. And uh, folks can use that coupon code to take 20% off their entire Order at CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com or in either of our two Cincy Shirt stores in Hyde Park and over the Rhine. So, uh, Michael, what would you like the uh, code word to be for this week?
0: How about Explore Nature?
1: Perfect. All right. That's a good one because we haven't used anything like that before. Great. So use Explore Nature, folks. Take 20% off your uh, entire order at Cincy Shirts or Old School Shirts or the two stores until the next episode drops. And Michael, appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, This was fascinating. And we encourage folks to get out and visit your parks. Hey, thank you very much. This has been a great pleasure. All right. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye.
1: Michael George never knew that we had so many great parks. Well, I guess I did kind of know, but I didn't realize there was over a hundred just in the city alone. That doesn't even include great parks of Hamilton County. And we need to get those folks on the show uh, to talk to them about all the great Hamilton County parks. Now. Uh, if- Towards that end, if you uh, know someone who would like to be on the podcast or you think should be on the podcast, has an interesting story to tell, well, please do reach out to us, podcast.sinceyshirts.com, and give us a, a little, uh, maybe one or two sentences about why you think that person would be a great podcast guest. And if you haven't already, of course, check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archives. Baseball great Johnny Bench, Jamie Yazbeck, Jeff Ruby. Of course, we had the late Pat Berry on. That was a fantastic episode. Go back and listen to all those. They're great. Today's show is produced by me, with all from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from philadelphia find their music on itunes spotify or wherever else you get your music find vintage tees from great places like boston phoenix pittsburgh cleveland louisville seattle philadelphia and more we're up to 32 33 cities now at oldschoolshirts.com same mix of uh, stuff you'd find at cincy shirts for the most part old restaurants old amusement parks uh, defunct sports teams all that fun stuff like Cincy shirts, but for those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode is Explore Nature. All one word, all overcase, all uppercase, that part doesn't matter. And you can use that to take 20% off your entire oldschoolshirts.com or Cincyshirts.com or go into the store uh, either in Hyde Park or Over the Rhine and say you want to use the podcast code Explore Nature. they will give you 20% off your entire order and I don't know if I've mentioned this before, I believe I have in the Over the Rhine store now, you can we print on demand, you can either bring in your own file, and as long as it isn't copyrighted or if obscene we will print it for you, so you can get a picture of you and your significant other printed on your shirt or if you can't find a design in stock that we have, or if you've been on oldschoolshirts.com and like, hey I'd like to get a Philadelphia Blazer shirt from my buddy in Philadelphia. We'll print it right there on the spot for you. How about that? So uh, other than that, follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest NC shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. <laughs>